Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the first book of Samuel, chapter 31, and the second book of Samuel, chapter one. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. She's not gonna take death into her own hands. She's going to trust the Lord. He alone knows how many breaths she has left. You die like you live. She lived a holy life. She's gonna have a holy death, I'm sure of it. If you live well, you will die well. She did it God's way. Now back to 1 Samuel 31. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead and also fell upon his sword, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. So now we have two men dead. Saul, by his own sword, the armor bearer. Saul's armor bearer also committed suicide. And in the catechism at 2282, it says if suicide is committed with the intention of setting an example, especially to the young, it takes on the gravity of scandal. Voluntary cooperation in suicide is contrary to the moral law. Self-inflicted deaths in the Bible, were there any others than these two? There are actually seven. The first one is in the book of Judges, chapter 9. It's the judge Elimelech. He ruled Israel for three years. And when they were in battle, a certain woman threw a millstone down upon his head and crushed his skull. He wasn't dead yet, and he hastily called his armor bearer and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me that a woman killed me. He didn't want that. He'd rather have someone murder him, kill him, than to say a woman crushed his skull. His young man thrust him through and he died. So he's asked someone to commit murder. The next one in the book of Judges was Samson. We already talked about Samson once before this year in Judges 16, where he asked the Lord to remember him. I pray to you, O God, that I could avenge the Philistines. They had gouged out both of his eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars upon which the house rested and leaned his weight upon them. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his might and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were in it. So that was a self-inflicted death, and Samson also died that day. The third self-inflicted death in the Bible is this one today, King Saul. The fourth is King Saul's armor bearer today. The fifth will be in 2 Samuel 17. We'll be studying it, but it's a counselor of David who hangs himself. The sixth one is King Zimri of Israel. When he saw the city had been taken over, he went into the king's house and he burned the king's house and he died in the fire. He, he burned himself to death. He was only king for seven days. Only one self-inflicted death in the New Testament, and you know what it is. Judith hangs himself in Matthew 17. It's a death of despair. Judith Iscariot, and look at this painting. A demon has come to take his soul. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he repented and he brought back the 30 pieces to the chief priests and the elders and he said, I've sinned by betraying an innocent man. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, Judas departed and he went and hanged himself. A demon taking the soul of Judas to Hades the place of the dead, because the gates of heaven had not been opened yet by Jesus Christ. So all the souls were in a waiting place, a holding place called Hades. Now, John gives us a little more information. John told us that Judas was a thief. He was the keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to whatever money was put in the bag. So he's a thief, a stealer, a robber. And we know from John 13 that Satan entered into Judas. 
And this was when Jesus was washing their feet and, and foretelling the betrayal. And they said, Lord, I can't believe someone, Jesus says, someone's going to betray me. I can't believe, who would do that? And they got John to ask him. And he said, the one I dipped the morsel and he gave it to Judas Iscariot. And after the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. Satan entered into Judas. We know that he left the supper early. He didn't drink the four cups. He left early and he went out into the dark of night. And we know John had that great juxtaposition between light and dark. He went out into the dark. Now, the church makes no judgment on the soul of Judas. I know I showed you that painting. That's just an artist's interpretation. But this church makes no judgment on the soul of Judas. The church does make judgment on the soul of saints. There are many people that the church elevates to the level of sainthood and said, we are sure they are in heaven with the Lord. But they will never say that a soul is condemned, ever. All 12 apostles, Matthias, who replaced Judas, we know they're all saints. The church has judged their soul to be in heaven. But Judas, silence. No judgment has been made. That's the beauty of the church. We know that when Jesus harrowed Hades on Holy Saturday night, everyone thought it was over, and he goes to Hades, and Peter tells us that Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh. He made him alive in the spirit in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Jesus harrowed Hades. He went to the place of the dead and he preached to them. He preached. What did he preach? The gospel. I'm risen from the dead. Once for all, he had, he had covered all the sins with his blood. Judas heard that sermon. Hmm. Death was defeated, hope was restored. Through the cross of Christ, the evil one is overcome. Death is defeated and life is given to us. Hope is restored. This is important. Through the cross of Christ, hope is restored. That's a quote from Pope Francis. What I'm saying, that this is speculative theology. It's a, a whole division of theology in the Catholic Church called speculative theology. Did Judas hear that sermon? And did he repent and go with Christ when Christ opened the gates of heaven? I don't know. The church won't say. The church leaves the eternal judgment of any soul's damnation to God alone. And that's comforting, and that's great wisdom of the church, because God alone is the judge. We cannot judge the fate of Saul's eternal soul. We cannot judge the fate of Judas's eternal soul. We cannot judge the fate of anyone's eternal soul to damnation. That is for God alone. Saul's body was wounded by the archers, now listen to this, what the catechism says about suicide, that grave psychological disturbances or anguish or grave fear of hardship, suffering, torture can diminish the responsibility of one committing suicide. This is a comfort if suicide has touched your life in any way. Grave psychological disturbances, anguish, fear, hardship, suffering, torture can diminish the responsibility. We know Saul has been tortured. We know he is in great pain and suffering. I've, I looked up different translations to get a better flavor for it. It says that the, in the King James, it says the battle went sore against Saul. The archers hit him. He was sore wounded in, in the American standard. He went sore and he was greatly distressed by reason of the archers. Again, in the Darby translation, he went sore. He was very much terrified, terror. And in the Dewey Rhymes, it says that the whole weight of the battle had turned upon Saul. The archers overtook him, and he was grievously wounded. I looked up grievously wounded. It means that he was very seriously wounded in a way that causes great pain. Can you imagine? 
grave psychological disturbances, anguish, grave fear of hardship, suffering, torture. We heard all those in those translations diminish the responsibility of one committing suicide. God alone is the judge. He's in great pain. He's mortally wounded. He has 24 hours to live from the time he consulted the medium at Endor. He wants to avoid humiliation. He knows what they will do to a king, an opposing king, what they'll do to his body. They'll torture him. They'll treat him with contempt. His armor bearer refuses to kill him, and Saul falls upon his own sword, grievously wounded in a way causing severe pain. So no one can judge the fate of Saul's eternal soul but God. Saul had three sons. They all died that day. His armor bearer, all the men on the same day together. So three of four sons of Saul have died in one day. Now, remember back to Samuel 128, the medium at Endor. Saul had consulted the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me. He answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you, Samuel, to tell me what to do. Saul has summoned a dead person for instruction. That's necromancy, forbidden in Torah. Samuel said, why do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord was now Saul's enemy by Saul's choosing. Saul had freely chosen the opposite standard of evil to serve. The Lord has done to you as he spoke to me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, Saul, and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek and the Amalekites. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. Where? In Hades, in the place of the dead. You're going to die in 24 hours, Saul, you and three of your sons. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. And Saul fell at once, full length, to the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in Saul, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And Saul would then consent to being fed bread by the witch of Endor. And not only that, they would make a blood covenant, very common in the Middle East. The medium wanted Saul to eat blood so they could share a blood covenant meal. David, remember, ate the holy bread. The Hebrew author wants to show us a great contrast between these two men. It doesn't appear that these two men serve the same master, David and Saul. David is running with God. Saul is running with the devil, right? He's running with evil. That's another song. David is true to God's word. Saul is not even true to his own word. He's lied and lied and lied again and again and again. David ate the holy bread from the high priest. Saul ate unholy bread and blood from the witch at Endor. David is in covenant with God. Saul is in a covenant with something else. Saul has relied on necromancy. He's consulted a medium, and he has 24 hours to live. 24 hours, and his body and soul will be required of him. That's what Saul has said. What would you do if you knew that you had 24 hours left to live? What would you do? Because that's what Saul knows. He has 24 hours left to live. What would you do? In order to die well, you must live well. Let's look at how Saul lived. Just this brief chart. If you go through Saul's 40 years of reign, he reigned for 40 years. He's doing pretty good. He's tall, good looking. The people like him. He's rising up. You know, the people like him. He defeats the Ammonites. That's awesome. That's the peak of his career. But then it's downhill from there. He disobeyed Samuel. 
He turned away from God. He disobeyed God. He's rejected by God as king. Then he's jealous of David. He hunts David. Then he stoops so low as to kill 85 Levitical priests. And he's just progressively going down. And in 1 Samuel 15, the word of the Lord came to Samuel the prophet. And the Lord God said, I repent that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. Saul has turned back from following God. And he has not performed my commandments. Jesus said, you are my friends if you keep my commands. He's not following God's commands. In order to die well, you have to live well. So Saul did not live well, and Saul did not die well. And it doesn't all change when you're on your deathbed. That's not the time to start a relationship with the Lord. I mean, there can be a deathbed conversion. We hear of those, but don't count on that. Don't wait until you're at your very most vulnerable time in your entire life to start thinking about God and eternity. Life is short, and the evil one wants that soul until the body's last dying breath. The moment of death is usually not easy. It might be peaceful and happy, Don't be deceived that at the very end of life, there will be no temptation to despair. You gotta be strong now in your faith. That's why you're here every single Thursday sitting here for an hour while I go on and on and on. Because at that moment of death, you better be ready or I'm gonna kill you. (laughs) That was a joke for the recording. That was a joke but I want you all ready for the moment of death. I wanna be ready for the moment of death. My mom was ready for the moment of death and it was a happy death. She lived well and she died well. What I want for us, Saul didn't die well. He did it his way. Saul is dead, three of his sons are dead. He's dead at his own hand. His loyal bodyguard would not kill him, so Saul killed himself. 24 hours is up. Saul died at the Battle of Mount Gilboa There it is. The Jordan River runs near it. Saul was in a furious battle and died at the hand of his own sword. At the death of Saul, the leadership of the kingdom of Israel is up for grabs. Who's the next king going to be? Well, it should be Jonathan, the oldest son, but Jonathan's dead too. Well, Saul has one son left. We'll see how this goes. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And on the morrow, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. There it is today. And they cut off Saul's head and they stripped off his armor and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. King Saul is dead. King Saul is dead. King Saul of Israel was decapitated by the Philistines. They cut his head off. So King Saul ended up like David's first enemy, decapitated. You remember David decapitated a Philistine giant. Now the Philistines have decapitated Israel's first king, Saul. What comes around goes around, often for the Hebrew writers. They put Saul's armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body onto the wall of Bashan. There it is today. Another account of this is found in 1 Chronicles 10. It says in that account, they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. You remember Dagon when they brought the Ark of the Covenant and Dagon fell over and his head cracked off. 
But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night. Okay, let's look who these are. See where Jabesh-Gilead is and see where Mount Gilboa is? What runs in between is the Jordan River. The inhabitants of Jabesh took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons down from the wall at Bashan. They risked their lives to do that. Who were these people that risked their lives to go get these bodies and give them a proper burial? Well, there's Jabesh Gilead. It's a city in Gilead in the period of the judges and the monarchy. And its inhabitants appeared to have close ties with the tribe of Benjamin, which is Saul's tribe. And there are two biblical stories that they're tied to. The people of Jabesh Gilead did not join the expedition of the Israelite tribes against Benjamin. In punishment, their city was destroyed and their maidens were seized and given to the Benjamites in Judges 21. Remember that story? The concubine of the Levite was cut up into little pieces and sent all over to each tribe and that caused a civil war and 11 tribes came against the Benjamites in retaliation. Well, Jabesh Gilead didn't join in on that. Hmm. But then their daughters were taken to repopulate the tribe of Benjamin. Also, you have to remember 1 Samuel 11. We just studied it. But when Jabesh Gilead was besieged by the Ammonites, King Nahash, king of Ammon, they appealed to King Saul for help. And I want to refresh you about this story. This is in 1 Samuel 11. Nahash the Ammonite besieged Jabesh Gilead and the men of Jabesh. And they said, let's make a, a treaty. Let's make a covenant with you. We will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite said, okay, I'll make a treaty with you guys, but on one condition, that I gouge out all of your right eyes. Do you remember that? He said, if I gouge out all your right eyes, then you can be on my team. Well, that was sad for them to hear. And the elders said, we need some time to, to think about this. We need seven days respite. And if no one saves us, then we'll, we'll, we'll have to get our eyes gouged out, I guess. And so at that time, they went and told their town and everyone was weeping. And Saul was coming in from the field behind the oxen. And he said, what ails the people? Why are they all weeping? And they told him um, what had happened to these men, that they're going to get their eyes gouged out in seven days. And the Spirit of God... This is way back in 1 Samuel 11. Remember this. This is before Saul did bad. The Spirit of God came mightily upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And Saul took a yoke of oxen, cut them into pieces, sent them through all the territory of Israel with a hand messenger saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall this be done to his oxen. So it reminds us of that civil war. He's calling them all back, and we're going to help these people. We're going to help the men of Jabesh, and we're going to win this battle against the Ammonites. And they did. They did. They had 24 hours. Tomorrow, we're going to give ourselves up and do what seems good to you, but we're, we're going we're gonna to go help these people. And so they never forgot that. They never forgot that King Saul helped them. And they made Saul king before the Lord in, Gil in, in Gilgal. That's where Saul was finally made king by the people in a public anointing. You remember that? So those men never forgot. And out of gratitude, they have come back now to get that body of Saul and give it a proper burial. And in 2 Samuel, David will say, for this deed of valor and mercy, this group at Jabesh was also, is also going to be highly praised by David. So this is a real act of valor, the, the Lord's anointed one. The men of Jabesh took the body of Saul, the body of his sons from the wall, and then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. That is so reminiscent of the divided tribes coming back as one 
And they took those bones and they buried them under a tamarisk tree in Jabesh and they fasted seven days. So they gave him a proper burial. That tree will mark the spot where the box of Saul's bones are. This, re this is repeated again, the same account in 1 Chronicles 10. That's the end of 1 Samuel. We just made it through 1 Samuel. Can you believe it? It's not even Thanksgiving. And now we start the book of 2 Samuel. The first book is authored by we don't know, doesn't tell us. It's unnamed and unknown. The second book, unnamed and unknown. But the Jewish rabbis know, and they tell us that 1 Samuel was written by Samuel the prophet up until 125. Why? Because he died. At 125, Samuel dies. And then the prophets Gad and Nathan picked up the writing. And this is in the Babylonian Talmud. And then they tell us that the book of 2 Samuel is also written by Gad and Nathan. Okay, so after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziglag. That's where he had gotten his wife and children and all. They had been kidnapped and he got them all back. On the third day, an important day in scripture, on the third day, behold, a man from Saul's camp, with his clothes rent and earth on his head, came to David and fell to the ground and did him obeisance. And David said, where do you come from? And he said, oh, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said, how did it go? Tell me, tell me. He doesn't know how the battle at Geboa went yet. The man said, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people have fallen and they are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. <gasps> David said to the young man, who told you? Who told you? How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told them said, by chance, I just happened to be up there on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning upon his spear. And lo, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me. And he called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. Wait a minute, I'm an Amalekite? No Israelite would ever, ever, ever trust an Amalekite. Why? Because Exodus 17, when the Amalekites attacked them in the wilderness and they attacked the back of the party where all the weak and the injured and the old were lagging behind and they slaughtered them and the Lord said, destroy every Amalekite off the face of the earth. Remember that? So this young Amalekite says to David, Saul said, stand behind me and slay me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood behind him, and I slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head, and the armlet that was on his arm. And here, I brought them to you, my lord. Why? He would sure like to ingratiate himself to the potential new king of Israel. And he would sure like a reward if one's being offered. Or maybe he could be made the body armor guard. Or maybe he'd be given a high place or a commander in his army. David took hold of his clothes and rent them. And so did all the men that were with him. This is a deep display of absolute grief. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son. And for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man, the Amalekite, who told him, where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. Oh. David said to him, how is it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? This is our king. This is our anointed king. This is our Mashiach. And David then called one of the young men and said, go fall upon him. And he smote him so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be upon your head. And your own mouth has testified against you saying that I have slain the Lord's anointed. No one slain the Lord's anointed. 
the Mashiach. What's going to come from the Lord's anointed? The seed. The seed of what? The seed of the Messiah. If it's not Saul, one is coming. David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said, it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jehar. We don't have the book of Jehar anymore. It did not survive, but it's mentioned another time in the Hebrew Bible in the book of Joshua. Behold, it's written. And David said, the glory, O Israel, is slain upon thy high places on Mount Gilboa. And how are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the Philistines exalt. You remember that Gath and Ashkelon are Philistine cities. Remember how they cheered that Saul had killed 10,000s, but David had killed hundreds of thousands. Don't let the Philistine women know about this. The women sang to one another and made merry. Remember, Saul has slain his thousands and David is 10,000s. He doesn't want them singing just the opposite of what's happened to Israel. David doesn't want it publicized. Tell it not in Gath. Tell it not in Ashkelon, the Philistine cities. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor upsurging or the deep. David is putting a curse on Mount Gilboa because who has taken over that territory? The Philistines. David curses the land. No dew, no rain. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you daintily in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of thy battle? Jonathan lies slain upon the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. And the Vulgate adds a note there, the love of women being like, as a mother loves her only son, so did I love thee, Jonathan, surpassing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen? and the weapons of war perished. You die like you live. If you live well, you will die well. Saul did it his way. How will you live? How will you die? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your mercy and your grace because we cannot live without you. We fall into ways of our flesh. Help us live by your spirit. That constant struggle to be a friend with you, to be in relationship, right relationship, to be in covenant with you. Help us do that, especially at the moment of our death, that we may die in a state of grace. Help us live well so that we can die well. Help us not pursue our own way, but help us to pursue your way. But we need your grace to do that. We are creatures, and you are almighty God. Help us to trust you. Thank you for your word that is a guidepost, that is a plumb line of truth, that we can stand on your promises and live by them and die by them. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the first book of Samuel, chapter 31, and the second book of Samuel, chapter 1, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.